Two down and two to go in our series of specials looking back on the very best of the 2017 ATP World Tour season. We've already relived all the drama of the European clay court swing and the best on grass and it's fair to say that between them Messrs Nadal and Federer had dominated up to this point. The senior statesmen putting their stamp on things and showing that they still have plenty left to give. But all the while one youngster was starting to call the shots. He serves down the centre, the backhand return is good from Anderson, but the cross-court backhand from Sverev has the South Africans stretching. Anderson in this rally though, a good big hard-hit cross-court forehand, but he's missed the backhand, and Sverev's won the title. His arm's in the air, Sverev jogs to the net so energetically, it's as if this final's taken nothing out of him at all. He's won it 6-4, 6-4 for his fourth title of the year. Only Nadal and Federer are in that kind of league in 2017. City Open champion, your fourth title this season. A breakthrough year, would you not say? Yeah, definitely. Uh, fourth title, fifth final. So, um, you know, it's been an amazing 2017, but it's not over yet. And hopefully I can, I can still do, uh, do some great things on court this year. And as you say, this is your first tournament since Wimbledon. Um, still lots to come. Not a bad way to start the hard court season. No, it's it's a great way. Um, I've beat they're very tough opponents in my matches. Uh, played some great tennis and, and won a title, won an ATP 500 event, which is which is a big event. So I'm very happy, and uh, hopefully I can continue playing like this in the summer. 20-year-old Sasha Zverev building on his growing reputation by clinching the Washington 500 title and adding to his coaching team with the canny appointment of Juan Carlos Ferrero. Victory then in their first tournament together and heading into the next two Masters events in Montreal and Cincinnati, Zverev already touted as one of the favourites. Add to that Novak Djokovic and Stan Wawrinka calling an end to their respective seasons and the draws were opening up. And away from the court, one former champion of both Montreal and Cincinnati was being honoured, as I reported at the time. Andy Roddick is the latest tennis star inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. The Nebraskan was the last American male to win a major or finish as year-end number one. He was able to do so after an incredible 28 victories in 29 matches on the hard courts in the summer of 2003. It was a whirlwind, you know, from kind of the semis of Wimbledon through the summer of 2003, through a US Open title, through playing for number one, through doing all of a sudden it's this whirlwind of doing Saturday Night Live and all this other stuff and then still trying to play for number one and that, that was a, a, a crazy hurricane of the six months for me. Um, but it was, uh, it was so much fun. You know, I still remember listening. I was at a Mexican restaurant and I was listening on the phone as Andre was playing uh, Ferrero in the round robin part of Masters. And if he wins that match, uh, I'm number one in the world. So to kind of make it ridiculous as far as the moment, one of your heroes is playing for you to be number one and I'm listening on the phone as that happens and hear the crowd go nuts. And, and, and so that's a, 
That's a huge moment. I'm very psyched for him, an enormous tennis player, um, so well deserved really. I'd like to congratulate him and uh, you know, I'm always happy to see um, old friends that I can even call Hall of Famers now. So it's, uh, it's very cool for him and I'm super happy. And like Roger Federer, Roddick was renowned for his effective service and his tenacity. Roddick's consistency was often overlooked. For a decade, kind of staying in the top ten and staying in the conversation was uh, an effort. You know, I, I, a lot of people kind of have a year or two down at a time, and I was able to kind of stay the course uh, and you know play a pretty high level up until uh, the day that I retired. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm kind of proud of the totality of that. First ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, he's had an incredible career. He was just so consistent. Uh, he was in the top ten of the world for, I believe, nine straight years. He would be one of those guys, you know, one of those fighters that just always showed up every single match, every single day. To carry the load of, um, you know, being number one American for almost his entire career, he couldn't be happier for a good friend and a, a guy that uh, definitely deserves it and, and gave back to the game that, that gave so much to him. The thoughts of fellow Americans Marty Fish and James Blake and to the delight of other compatriots Todd Martin and Bob Bryan the former world number one and major champion now has a new title, Andy Roddick, Hall of Famer. From the moment he started to the moment he finished, he was at the very top of the game. Uh, world number one, uh, a Grand Slam, uh, one Grand Slam title at the US Open, and then three Wimbledon finalists. It's an amazing career. He was a soldier for the US Davis Cup team. I think he was 14-0 in clinching matches, always there for us. Went to his house so many times. No one deserves this more. Um, Andy, you've worked harder than anyone, and uh, we really congratulate you on this honor. It's, it's tough to give it uh, what it deserves in a, in a soundbite. I thought I had a shot at it. Um, you know, I, I didn't think it was a given, um, especially this quickly. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm certainly thankful when you're, when other Hall of Famers and uh, journalists that have covered you, uh, when they're the ones giving you the thumbs up to come in. Um, it means, uh, it means a lot. He retired in 2012, but Roddick is as busy as ever and hugely ambitious for his life after tennis. <laughs> a lot of different business ventures, whether it's real estate or tech startups or, um, you know, angel investments. Uh, the Andy Roddick Foundation is, is doing very well. We serve 1,500 kids daily in, uh, in Austin, Texas. Um, we, we've taken over a partnership with Austin Parks and Rec, so we, we're actually going at 13 different sites daily. The goal is progress daily, in whether it's business or philanthropy or uh, on a personal level. And it's, uh, it, you know, my, my days are full, but nothing controls my geography, which is nice. I'm lucky. Retirement's been easier for me than I thought it would be. I'm in a really good place. You know, I love my wife and our son more than I can handle most days. I, I miss playing. I miss those moments of kind of the nerviness of it. Uh, you know, the, the, the 20 seconds after a huge win, that 20 seconds of feeling accomplishment from something you've built towards for a couple of months is, is something that I'll never be able to replace. Andy Roddick, winner of the Montreal Masters in 2003. And as this year's edition got underway, much of the home focus was understandably on the return from injury of Milos Raonic. But it was to be another Canadian who stole the limelight. 18-year-old Denis Shapovalov had already beaten Brazil's Rogério Dutra Silva and Juan Martín del Potro when he went toe-to-toe -to -toe in the third round 
with Rafael Nadal. Second serve on set point. You'll know who's won it from the crowd's reaction. Back in return for Shafalov. Is it a miss hit and caught the line? Nadal's gone long! Would you believe it? Nadal has dropped the set. Shapovalov has taken the second set. We have a decider. And this could go either way. Eighth point for Shapovalov. As he serves back in return. Um, forehand from Shapovalov. Up the line by Nadal. Sliced by Shapovalov. Nadal runs around his backhand. Shapovalov slices his forehand. Forehand from Nadal. Uh, aggressive backhand from Shapovalov. It's deep. Nadal just on inside the court. This is a wonderful angle. Drops from Nadal. is into the net. Shapovalov holds serve. He bounces up and down as if he's won the tournament, let alone one game. Shapovalov leading 6-4 in the final set tiebreak. Nadal serves backhand return. Forehand Nadal to the backhand of Shapovalov. Forehand from Nadal is down the middle. Backhand Shapovalov down the middle. Both players playing safe. Now the bigger forehand from Shapovalov. He has a big forehand down the line. Winner! He falls to the ground. He throws his racket away. He now looks up as if he doesn't believe what he's done. And there are many people here who don't believe what he's done. But they have seen it. They have seen him beat the great Rafael Nadal, the man who is number two in the rankings and will remain at number two because he has been beaten by Denis Shapovalov. What a wonderful match. Even without the victory, this was already a coming of age for the young Canadian. And boy, is this guy going places. He certainly was. And in the aftermath of the win against Nadal, we spoke with respected Canadian journalist, Tom Tebbett. It's, it's pretty amazing what's happened. Uh, you said 18-year-old, and I think that's the one thing you sort of have to keep thinking about, is that uh, he's just 18, and, you know, nobody's come along, I don't think, I guess they have, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but recently nobody at 18 has sort of looked this good, beaten Nadal, beaten Do Potro, um, had this kind of a week, and, and showed this much promise. I mean, he really, and, and the other thing is, uh, everybody likes his game, too. It's, it's a really fantastic game. He brings back the old one-handed backhand, uh, plays very aggressively, uh, shows a lot of flair on the court. So it, it's been fantastic to see him. And obviously I'm here watching, but uh, I remember way back when in 72 when Daniel Nestor beat Edberg, there was an electric uh, atmosphere in the country. That was out in Vancouver, and it was about, I think, 10 o'clock at night, so it was like 7 o'clock in Toronto and in Montreal. So people were right in prime time seen on TV. And this has been right in prime time almost all his matches. And uh, I, I'm sure that, you know, it's not just... Um, I was talking to somebody, I think it was at a Blue Jays game, you know, baseball game in Toronto, and, like, they were, at the game was over, everybody was sitting around watching the tennis match, which, you know, doesn't happen that often, so it just shows you, you know, wh how far he's sort of connected with the, yes. the general public in Canada. Yes, and he's taken the country by storm. So he's got an interesting background, of course, because uh, he was born um, in Israel, uh, and as a baby came to Canada, mum and dad, they, they immigrated, they... They, I think they, they're quoted as saying that they didn't feel too, too safe there and they wanted to raise their kids in a more stable environment. And, uh, and mum was a tennis coach and is a tennis coach. Yeah, yeah she is. I and mean, she started her own academy, I think, four or five years ago. And Dennis is part of that. And one of the things that happened is that if you look at Felix Auger-Liassim and even Milos Raonic, who's from Toronto, as Dennis is, uh, I think for two years... Uh, uh, Milos was tra uh, traveling between Montreal, uh, Toronto and Montreal to train here and he was uh, actually he was here most of the time and his parents would come down on weekends to see him and stuff like that and I know that was sort of proposed uh, to Dennis because he's such a promising player and to come where Felix is and where most of the Canadian players are but he you know his parents and he I think wanted to stay in Toronto and, and they stayed there and 
it's certainly paid off in the long run. Obviously, I think any parent would want their child to stay at home and not travel 350 miles away, and, and especially at you know 15 years old, 16 years old. So it, it's really worked out well for him. And uh, I mean, I talked a little bit to his mother last night. Funny, I just asked her, just happened to be beside her. I said, you know, you get nervous when you play, she said, of course. And then I said, well, do you think it helps a little bit to, to, for you to be a player because she was a player I think in the former Soviet Union or in Russia and she said oh yeah of course you know she understands what he's going through on the court so I, I think she's been a big influence as well and uh, you know he's he's come along through her and there is a National Tennis Center in Toronto as well so it's not as though he's totally in some little place with two courts and you know a bunch of juniors running around all day he had exposure to some pretty good players as well. When were you first made aware or when did you first become aware of him as a talent? Um, well, I was very fortunate in two summers ago, so I would have been 2015, Canada played Belgium uh, in a Davis Cup match right after Wimbledon. So I went there, and all of a sudden there's this practice player there who's 16 years old, and that was Denis Shapovalov. And, um, you know, I had not known very much about him, but, you know, when he started practicing, and he, you know, he, he looked pretty good. And then one day uh, I was talking to Daniel Nestor, and I said, you know, you've seen this kid, you know, Shapovalov, what do you think? And he said, well, he's not bad. And I said, well, he's 16. He said, he's 16? Like, he just thought, you know, he was a lot older than that, and, and maybe that's why he was playing as well as he was. I mean, I, remember, I always remember Daniel just shaking his head, 16, and then you sort of know him. And obviously, Daniel's been around, and then he had an appreciation of how good he was. Alongside Tebbett and watching on in admiration was Canadian sporting royalty in the shape of legendary ice hockey star Wayne Gretzky. Well, listen, coaching and uh, opportunity is always uh, something we always look at. Um, and, you know, years ago, maybe we didn't have the sort of same platform and, uh, that, that other countries had, uh, like the United States or Australia, Spain. Um, over the last 15, 20, 25 years, our tennis program has come a long way. And Tennis Canada has done a remarkable job at encouraging youngsters and young players to step in and, and be part of our country and um, make tennis even bigger and better than it is. So you still need to have those guys like Milos who come through and give it some credibility, uh, give it some notoriety. Uh, Jeannie Bouchard did a tremendous job there over a period of time to help promote and get more and more women playing. So, we, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, it's exposure and coaching, and we're getting much more of that. And just finally, you're renowned for your work ethic, mm -hmm. and that's something that I guess transcends all speed. You put yeah. the hard work in. Yeah. You have to work extremely hard to mm -hmm. succeed. It's not just natural talent. Yeah. There's no secrets. Uh, the greatest athletes who live are obviously the good Lord blessed them. Uh, I'm the first guy to stand. The good, the good Lord gave me a special talent, but it doesn't matter. Uh, if you look at guys like Nadal and you look like uh, um, a guy like Federer um, in our game, Crosby, uh, mm. it's hard work, man. It's, it's not a secret. Uh, usually the best athletes and the best players are the hardest working players on each and every sport and each and every team. And so it's, there's no secrets. And hard work was in evidence on both sides of the net in Montreal as Zverev and Richard Gasquet played out one of the points of the year. Big serve from Zverev. It lands, but Gasquet gets the uh, return in and deep from Zverev on the forehand. Gasquet again, though, defending well at the baseline. It's a deep slice. This is his second match point. It will be a wonderful win for Gasquet, having been so close to defeat. Off forehand from Zverev. And now a backhand up the line. Gasquet chasing left and right, defending manfully at the baseline. Deep slice from Gasquet right down the centre of the court. Backhand cross court from Zverev. He's on the cusp of defeat here. Backhand cross court again from Zverev. Gasquet just clears the net, then plays the squash shot. 
cross court. Up the line goes Ferret with a forehand. Another forehand cross court. He's dictating this rally, but Gasquet is defending brilliantly. Then huge pace accelerated into that shot by Zverev. Gasquet throws up the lob, it lands in. Zverev with the off forehand. Gasquet somehow gets the ball back into play. Deep slice on the forehand, and then the backhand, and then a forehand from Zverev. A squash shot from Gasquet. This has got to be the longest rally of the year. Squash shot from Gasquet again. This is match point, remember, to the Frenchman. Forehand from Zverev, another forehand from Zverev, cross court. Gasquet has it covered again. Backhand from Zverev, cross court. And still he can't see off the Frenchman. Deep slice from Gasquet, who's just praying for an error here. Big off forehand from Zverev. Short the ball, and a winner from Zverev, cross court. That is an absolutely monumental rally. And Zverev shows his nerve under pressure. Gasquet, hands on knees, cannot believe that Zverev is still standing. And the crowd is standing. An ovation for both of these players after an absolute lungbuster. 49 strokes. And Zverev somehow is still alive. If Zverev struggled through against Gasquet, on the other side of the draw, Roger Federer was facing similar challenges. Second serve on set point. Federer goes to the backhand of Ferrer. Forehand from Federer, set it! And you have to say that that was a totally deserved set from David Ferrer. He looked the better player throughout, and he takes it by six games to four. Match point to take this third round match in three sets. He serves to the backhand, comes into the net, half volley behind it, it's in, and uh, now Federer cuts off the forehand. That's too good for Ferrer. And a sigh of relief from Roger Federer. That was a champion's performance in the sense that he did not play well. But somehow, he still managed to win. He's played Ferrer 17 times. He's beaten him all 17. And the epic matches would keep on coming. After beating Nick Kyrgios and Kevin Anderson, Zverev set up a semi-final against the man of the moment. The German is ready to serve, the Canadian is ready to receive. What do we get? Another safe serve, the backhand flick, and we're in play down the line with the forehand goes Zverev. It hits the backhand cross court to the forehand cross court from the Canadian. Now the Canadian flicks up that backhand flick on the hook foot forehand cross court from Sasha Zverev. Nice angle from Shapovalov, better angle from Zverev down the line from the Canadian, cross court from the German, cross court sliding from the Canadian who flicks up the backhand down the line, the stretch from the German, mid court ball for the Canadian. Off the forehand, the stretch, the <laughs> well, the noise from the crowd tells you everything you'd want to know. What a rally! Zverev with the first serve, good first serve, battered back into the body in the back, and the forehand flick cross caught by the German. It is loose yeah. from the Canadian. The dream is over for Denis Shapovalov, but it's still alive for the fourth seed, Sasha Zverev, who will face Roger Federer in tomorrow's final. The next generation has arrived. We look forward to plenty more meetings between these two, but this night in Montreal belongs to Sasha Zverev through in straight set 6-4, 7-5. So Zverev's hot run continuing, but was he ready yet to take on the Grandmaster? Set point Zverev, 29 minutes played, final of the Rogers Cup in Montreal. Serves into the body and there it is. When you've got a serve like that, it can help you out. It did on that occasion. And Sasha Zverev, with half an hour on the clock, takes the first set over Roger Federer, two-time champion of the Canadian Masters, by six games to three. 
Sertiola comes in to serve a volley, plays the backhand volley. Now the lob is up, the overhead is good, but Zverev gets it back and the rally continues. Inside in goes Federer, forehand crosscourt goes Zverev, forehand hook crosscourt onto line from Federer, down the line goes Zverev, slice backhand crosscourt from Federer, backhand crosscourt from Zverev, backhand crosscourt from Federer, the double-hander to the single-hander to the double-hander, down the line and onto the line, and it's missed by Federer. What a point from Sasha Zverev, break point to the German. At 40 love, the first of three championship points. Zverev serves down the centre, the forehand is long, the arms are aloft, the smile from ear to ear from Sasha Zverev as he makes his way towards the net. He is champion in Montreal, he's champion in Canada. The players embrace at the net. It's a straight sets victory for Sasha Zverev as Roger Federer says, well played. Delight on the face of German, he is 20 years of age, he is the new world number seven. It's his sixth career title, the apprentice has beaten the master. Congratulations to Sasha Zverev, Masters 1000 title number two. Beating Roger is something very special for me. Uh, he was my idol growing up, but in the other Masters I also would beat Novak, so it's both uh, both equal, I think. Um, this one is, is unbelievable because it's my first one on, on, on hard courts. Um, obviously both feel special, but I'm just super happy right now. And a word about how you've been playing this week. It must seem like a long time ago that you saved those match points against Richard. But would it be safe to say you've not put a foot wrong since then? Yeah, I mean, since then uh, I've played uh, pretty good. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, but it feels like feels like a minute ago, actually. Uh, you know, if, if I would have missed one of those 49 shots, uh, I would have lost and I would have uh, not won the tournament here. And now I'm here as a champion, which is amazing for me. And I'm just super happy. And moving forward to other Masters events, starting with next week in Cincinnati, you're going to get talked about as one of the favourites, no matter who's playing. Are you comfortable with that? Yeah, I mean, it, it becomes more natural now. I think, uh, you know, winning those big events, I think, becomes more natural. But I think in Cincinnati, there's still other favourites uh, there, uh, especially me. I've gone back to back now two weeks in a row. So I, I am a little bit tired, but, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes in Cincinnati. Zverev ploughing ahead, but a noticeably pained Federer pulled out of the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati, adding his name along with Kei Nishikori's to the long list of players nursing injuries. Arriving in America, many of the plaudits and the pundits were focused on Zverev, Brad Gilbert among them. I would say that young Zverev, who I call A to Z, um, at 20 years old, I think is going to finish three in the world. And I think that, to me... He's got all of the intangibles, and he has a lot of court smartness out there, and I think he can change his game. So I think that he's going to be the first of the young guys to be competing to win slams. Brad, what do you particularly like about him? Well, I think at six foot six, I think his movement is tremendous, and I think that he's very solid off of both sides, the forehand and backhand, um, hits the ball very heavy. But I, I do think that his, his composure and his belief at his age, you know, because used to be 20 years old. It wasn't that old, you know, a long time ago. We had so many great young players when I first turned pro in the early 80s. But obviously it's changed now with the physicality and how the length of players. But it's nice and refreshing to see some youth finally come back and do some damage. And youth did continue to prosper, but this time at the expense of Zverev. Zverev up into the second serve, middle of the box, it's a floated forehand, it sits up high for the backhand crosscourt. This is a very safe rally from both of them, backhand crosscourt, backhand crosscourt, both the double-hander low over the net from Zverev who steps into it, back and it's loose and it's long and Tiafoe's done it! The biggest win of France's Tiafoe's career, he has beaten Sasha.
Matthew Zverevic's taken him three sets and he comes through 4-6, 6-3, 6-4. After the match, I spoke with TFO's coach, Mike Russell. I mean, at 19 to get your first top 10 win, and, you know, he's seen how well Sasha's done over the last couple of years and, I, you know, he wants to follow in his footsteps and also be top 10. What was the plan against Sasha, bearing in mind he's played so much tennis recently? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we factor that into the equation. Um, you know, we spent a lot of, lot of time looking at video and, and dissecting it and some of the, some of the things that, that Sasha did well against him in previous matches. And Francis was able to, to pick up on some of those things and just did a great job of staying positive and, and being aggressive when he needed to. And the fact that he's so athletic and so mobile, he, he, in many ways he was the last kind of player that Sasha would have wanted to be up against. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, you, you change climates too. You know, in, in Canada, it's a lot different weather than it is down here in Cincinnati with the humidity. And, you know, we worked really hard this week. And, and Robbie Gineppri, who's also working with um, Francis through the USDA, as, as am I, you know, we've just been really, you know, pushing Francis. And, you know, physically, he's very strong. Francis is so great to watch. What's he like to coach? What's he like to be around? He's a fun, fun guy. Yeah, I mean, he likes to joke and. He's got a good heart, so and, and it, it makes it easy, you know, to work with him because he's appreciative, you know, of the time that we're giving back to help him. And as you said, you know, still only 19. How good do you think he can be? What's the potential? I mean, I think he can be top 10, and then you know, once you're top 10, you're obviously putting yourself in situations to win Grand Slams and and Master Series like this tournament, and that's that's what I'm having him believe in himself that he actually is a top 10 player, and I think it's it's paying off. Is he one of these players who is naturally confident or does he derive confidence from doing well? I think it's a combination. You know, a little bit, you know, a lot of the guys are like that. You know, obviously when he wins more matches, he's more confident. And that's why, you know, having a win today is huge, you know, for his confidence. And, you know, hopefully he can, he can use this as a platform to really launch ahead in, in the next few months and next year. And also playing in front of a home crowd because a lot of the time the Americans, you know, they, they don't necessarily know these guys that well compared to, say, a Rafa or a Rogers. So great to showcase himself in front of his home, his home fans. Yeah, I mean, before the tournament, you know, we were talking, he loves playing here in Cincinnati and he was fired up before the tournament even started. So to have a, a showing like this where he could play this well against, you know, Sasha, who's on fire on stadium court is, is special. And Milan must be... You know, a major aim for, for Francis and for yourself now, the next-gen finals. Um, how much of a must is that? Yeah, I mean, it's a priority in the schedule. You know, we, obviously the U.S. Open is, is, the, is, the, is the granddaddy coming up, but, you know, each week we try to progress and, you know, you go in with the expectation that you want to win every tournament. So, you know, the next-gen final in Milan is going to be a huge tournament for him as well, but, you know, we're just one step at a time and really looking to progress his game. I want to ask you too about the physicality of tennis these days. You know, Francis is obviously he's, he's a fairly big guy, six two, but still not a giant compared to a lot of the guys on tour. You're five foot eight, yeah. like me. Yeah. Um, how difficult is it for say a Diego Schwartzman these days to compete at five six? Yeah, I mean, you really got to make sure that your strengths are maximized. So uh, you know, a guy like Diego, he's super fast, doesn't give any free points. His return is exceptional, and you know, to be able to compete with guys that are moving well and they're six foot six, hitting 135 mile an hour serves, you have to have something that's special. And that's what you know Diego did. I thought my speed and my ability to take the ball early helped me a lot. Um, but you see it, Nishikori with an incredible backhand and speed as well. Uh, and Francis, at 19, potentially still growing as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's not done maturing uh, physically, so that's things to consider. 
and you know it's part of the practice schedule is that you know you really make sure he's still maturing physically and then also work on you know the mental game as well when it comes to battling the mental demons in the game a certain young australian often springs to mind but in cincinnati nick kyrgios was faring well he'd already beaten david goffin Alexander Dolgopolov and Ivo Karlovic to set up a mouth-watering tie with Nadal. And ahead of the game, Gabriel Clark took a closer look at the enigmatic star. Good serve out wide, Kyrgios gets a racket on it, but it's a high ball, should be a put away. Oh, Kyrgios stands there, and it's in, it's dropped in from Kyrgios. Dolgopolov running back, hoists one high in the air, Kyrgios pounds the forehand away! Sensational play! He had no right to win that point whatsoever! Something I've learned about myself is that I can bounce back quite well. Nick Kyrgios has had a roller coaster season. After a slow start to 2017, the Australian has demonstrated his desire and fighting spirit. After Australian Open, lost second round and didn't really know whether or not I was going to sort of continue to play for the next couple of months or just take it off and came back from Davis Cup and, and obviously that was the best choice I could have made to be back with a great group of guys and, and just remember the tennis can be fun. In early spring, Kyrgios was looking for form on the ATP World Tour and being drawn against one of the greats of the game in Miami, he showed his true talent. You know, I've had some great memories already this season. That match against Federer sort of stands out. Talk about belief in your own ability. Kyrgios has stepped up big time. Well, I think it was one of the best matches I've played. That was a match that I won't ever forget. What an atmosphere worthy of the gods right now. This place is rocking. What a match. Roger Ferrer wins one of the matches of the year. Beating Djokovic twice in a row in the States was, was a great, great couple of weeks for me. I thought a lot of people were kind of looking forward to that matchup, and we'd never played each other before and then kind of just we saw each other in the draw and we sort of knew it was that time that we were gonna play and it was exciting, you know, I was very excited to play him. You are kidding me. Saving his best when it really matters, Kyrgios. Obviously one of the greatest of all time, he's certainly in the conversation, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I just took a load of confidence, you know, I always believed that I could win those type of matches, and I feel like every time I step out of the court now, I've got a great chance to win a match. Kyrgios can't control his emotions. A truly epic contest. He'll soon realise that the tennis world is at his feet. Playing in an era of greats, it's natural to learn from legends. But Kyrgios has found inspiration from his peers. None more so than friend and rival Alexander Zverev, whose impressive rise has given Nick new belief and targets. We played juniors together, so it was always good, um, you know, having him to sort of talk to or hang out with at different tournaments. You know, he's been playing great tennis. He's got a massive future ahead. I actually envy him in a way that, you know, he does all the right things. He's very professional and that's obviously something that I don't quite um, tick the box there. So, and he's younger than me as well, so it's going to be exciting to watch him play. You know, as it stands at the moment, I've got the winning record, so I'm sure I'll play him a lot more times. Being close with his rivals is helping Kyrgios. Sharing so much time together on tour and establishing a close-knit bond is crucial. Andy Murray will second that. 
me and Andy, we're, we're great mates. Probably one of my best mates on tour. Every time he's in the locker room, we'll talk, we'll, we'll, we'll joke around, we'll have good banter. He's a guy that's always been nice to me. He always has my back and, and when I can talk about something, I can always go to him and yeah, he's, he's just a great guy. With close friends offering encouragement and a renewed attitude helping him deal with the expectation, Nick Kyrgios is thriving. There's every chance his best could be about to come on the US hard courts this summer. One man who knows Kyrgios better than most is fellow Australian doubles legend Mark Woodford. He spoke with Gigi Salmon. He has a lot of fans, and a lot of, a lot of Australian fans. I think um, what, what bothers me, and I, I've commentated a number of his matches over the years, um, is he's got so much talent, and I feel like he's, uh, with some of the outbursts that we've seen and we've witnessed, um, that have cost him matches, that, that bothers me because... You know, he's got so much talent and I'd, I'd rather him uh, not waste that opportunity as a tennis player. I think there you know, is such a, a small window of time for him to, to maximise um, his, his high-level gr- great potential to achieve greatness. I, I mean, I, yes, I do see him Do you him believe a, he could be a great? <clears throat> t- totally. Might not have the career as, you know, the, the two players we were talking earlier about, Nadal, Federer, maybe, you know, some of those guys. He might be a bit more of a, um, you know, win uh, three, two, three, four. I don't, I don't know if he could win more than that. Um, you know, we'll see. But I think he has that possible possibility of, of reaching number one as well. Um, but Is he coachable as a coach? For, for me, I, and I've been asked that a few times, I don't trust myself that I could help him... Um, manage the emotional side with the the outbursts i'm i'm um uh, my, my history with some players i prefer them to be you know a bit more focused on the court a bit more workmanlike um uh, the 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 banter that would go back and forth not not banter from me but just the maybe the finger pointing of, of you know what's going on here you, you know i that that doesn't sit well with me um but this year i think has been a uh, different Nick Kyrgios and we, we've got to remember he's still young I mean uh, and, and I'm not trying to make excuses or give him a break here but you know it's it is a sport he's put he's thrust into the spotlight Australian tennis we want our champions in a, a, as tennis players and um, it, his every move is being reported and I think sometimes he likes to be able to hide himself away and, and maybe shoot a few baskets, maybe eat some junk food, maybe not practice as much, maybe not have to train as hard. Um, but when you're in that spotlight, there is that expectation from fans that you know, in order for him to achieve greatness, he's got to apply himself. And this year, I think he has turned the corner. I think he's starting to mature at a tremendous rate. Um, and I think, that, look, he's not short on belief, self-confidence, um, but I think there's a, a lack of belief that he could do it um, in a big tournament like the Masters Series. But he's shown himself that he can do it. And he's been able to, to we've seen glimpses of it at Grand Slams, but he hasn't gone past that quarterfinal stage. So I think it's just a matter of time for Nick Kyrgios. As long as he gives himself a bit of a break um, and doesn't put too much pressure on himself, doesn't read too much into 
perhaps us on the sidelines saying, yes, he's, he's got that, um, that opportunity to win a Grand Slam, but just goes about his work on a daily basis. The end product of Nick Kyrgios we'll see in another two years. And Kyrgios kept on producing. 6-5, 40-15, Kyrgios reaches up, he serves out wide and he aces! It is ace number 10, delight on the face of the Australian. He has defeated the top seed Rafa Nadal in straight sets. 6-2, 7-5, an hour and 20 minutes on the clock. Absolute delight from Nick Kyrgios. You never know which Nick Kyrgios is going to turn up. The right Nick Kyrgios turned up on centre court this evening. The top seed, world number two, is out. And it's Nick Kyrgios who goes through to the semi-finals. No title for Nadal in Cincinnati, but there was another milestone to celebrate. With Federer having withdrawn before the tournament, the Spaniard was confirmed as the new world number one. Rafael Nadal, for the first time in his career, is number one. I was number one for the first time in my life here, so that was, uh, uh, of course, a great memory. Happened a lot of things between the last time that I have been in that position that, uh, that today they're going to be, again, the number one player in the world. Alexander Zverev. The fighter that he is, even though he had maybe a little bit of, of body problems, you know, some injuries, we always knew that he's going to come back so strong. And the way he's playing this year is unbelievable, winning two Masters Series, one Grand Slam. Uh, being world number one next week again uh, is something amazing and, uh, you know, obviously I think all players are very happy for him. Rafael Nadal wins a fifth title in Madrid, a 30th Masters 1000 crown of his career. Dominic T. The way he came back after after his last season, he stopped it earlier, had some health issues obviously, and then I think during the clay season this year he was maybe playing the best tennis he ever did, so it's 100% deserved. Rafael Nadal rewrites the tennis history books in Monte Carlo. He becomes the first man in the Open era to win a single event on 10 different occasions. Nick Kyrgios. He's arguably the greatest of all time, um, and I think he works sets an example for every single tennis player who picks up a racket. You know, he's dedication to the game, second to none, and he's a, he's a champion, he's a legend, he's going to go down one, as one of the greatest. So, same at number one, I think um, it's a spot that he does deserve. I worked hard, I maintained the, the illusion and the passion for the game, and here I am, you know, having a great season and happy to come back to the number one. In the other side of the draw, and going quietly about his business in Cincinnati, was Grigor Dimitrov. Wins against Feliciano Lopez, Juan Martín del Potro and Yuichi Sugita set up a semi-final against the home favourite, John Isner. Match point down, match point number four for the seventh seed, Dimitrov, who's ready to pounce. 10-11, match point takes his early with a floated backhand into the middle of the court. Into the net goes John Isner and Gregor Dimitrov reaches his first Masters 1000 final and he's done it by defeating John Isner in two tie-break sets after two hours on court. A huge step forward for the Bulgarian, but who would be standing in his way? Second serve, down the centre, stretched on the back, of the full bounce is high for a forehand down the throw to the court from Kyrgios, and on the forehand from Kyrgios, switches it cross-court, down the line goes Ferrer, a double-hander from Ferrer, cross-court, mid-court ball, inside in goes Kyrgios, cross-court, good depth from Ferrer, squash shot from Kyrgios, cross-court from Ferrer, down the line for a winner goes Kyrgios. Can you believe it? Again, 
Kyrgios escapes somehow. Second serve out wide, the forehand cross court return from Kyrgios. Down the line, spins the ball for Frey, comes into volley, gets the backhand volley. Oh, but he's passed by Kyrgios. Game point, Frey gets the first serve, makes a difference. There is a roar from the Spaniard in game number 10 of set number two. He had to save a match point, he saved a match point, and we are locked at five games all. Serves out wide, what returns the feet from Kyrgios, but somehow he makes it in, and there we get our first tweener of the match. Awful results for Kyrgios, we had to get at least one. That was a cracking return of serve, a great defensive shot from Ferrer, and it ended with an awful tweener. There the shoes of David Ferrer as he waits for Kyrgios to wind up and serve down. He bats it back with forehand Kyrgios, and then double-handed back on the stretch from Ferrer, who scampers the forehand side, can't control it. Aggressive play from the Australian, who made his way to the net, 3-1 in the tie-break. Now it's David Ferrer's time, cannot afford to lose service point here. He goes off forehead on the angle, comes in for the volley for it. Oh, up and over, David Ferrer. What touch and feel from the Spaniard at the net. Kyrgios, so, oi, ay, ay, ace number 14. Ferrer serves, Kyrgios steps in with the forehand, clips top of net, goes over the off forehand from Ferrer, the backhand down the line from Kyrgios, forehand cross court from Ferrer, forehand centre the court from Kyrgios, forehand down the line from Ferrer, backhand cross court from Kyrgios, another backhand from Kyrgios, low over the net, the off forehand from Ferrer, the double handed backhand from Kyrgios, the inside in, down the line for a winner from David Ferrer. Oh, just pouncing all over that final forehand, Ferrer climbed all over it. Match point has been saved. There are two more to go, and another one here on the Ferrer serve. Ferrer serves at 4-6, gets the serve, goes for the one who tries to wrong foot Kyrgios, who spins the ball down the line. The off forehand is good and deep from Ferrer, keeps on the forehand side, goes off forehand to double-handed flat backhand from Kyrgios. He spins that long! Wide, I think it was called wide, wasn't it? Kyrgios isn't 100% sure. Don't think it was called wide, was it called wide? Or? I thought it was called wide. I thought it was called wide. Yes, sorry. It is wide. And there it is, David Ferrer at the net, and Nick Kyrgios will make his way to the net. It's a straight sets victory, and a nice word from David Ferrer to Nick Kyrgios at the net. And Kyrgios ruffles the hair of David Ferrer. It's the 22-year-old enigmatic Australian Nick Kyrgios who takes his place in his first Masters 1000 final. There is a smile on the face of the Australian. They were on court for just over two hours, but it is Nick Kyrgios who reigns supreme in straight sets, 7-6, 7-6. So a first Masters 1000 final for both Kyrgios and Dimitrov. First of the three, Dimitrov serves, misses out wide. Back into position, ball from the left pocket, bounces it a few times, Kyrgios charges forward and slaps his forehand back to the feet and the forehand down the middle of the court from Dimitrov. The angle spun long from Nick Kyrgios. And with 34 minutes played, Gregor Dimitrov has taken the first set by six games to three and he is a set away for his first Masters 1000 title. Inside in goes the Bulgarian, forehand cross cut onto the line, goes Dimitrov down the line, goes Dimitrov who scampers and slides into the backhand and goes down the line and Kyrgios gets and hooks it cross court. What the fence from Dimitrov who then plays a backhand on the run and the ball sits up mid-court. Kyrgios goes drop shot. It's not good enough. Here comes Kyrgios. Dimitrov goes dropped out of his own and Kyrgios cannot make it. Just phenomenal court coverage. It's one from three on break points. The Bulgarian, how he'd love to improve that here. Kyrgios, 30-40. First serve is good down the centre. Back on the return to the feet and Kyrgios spins the forehand long. 
and Dimitrov gets the point, he gets the break, and he is a game away from the title, leading as he does by six games to five. Serve down the centre again, nudges the line, gets a mid-court return, goes off forehand, and then a backhand slice from Dimitrov that drops on the service line, the approach from Kyrgios, down the line for the winner! Goes Dimitrov on the slide to put him two points away from the title. Well, that is just phenomenal. Championship point number two for Grigor Dimitrov. 6-5, 40-30. Reaches up for the service, serves down the centre. It's blocked back on the forehand. It's deep into the forehand wing and it's off forehand. And a backhand cross-court from Dimitrov. Off forehand, into the net. And there it is, the biggest win of Grigor Dimitrov's career. He is a Masters 1000 champion. He is the Cincinnati Masters champion, and he's done it with a straight sets victory over Nick Kyrgios, an hour and 25 on the match clock, and he's done it without dropping his set the whole week. Final score on centre court in the final, 6-3, 7-5. And afterwards, I spoke with a very proud coach, Danny Valverdu. Like I always say, it's not, it's not only about this week, we just need to keep building on it and, and keep moving forward. And that's the challenge of the job, and even the challenge for him is just to try and find that, that balance so he can do that. This, so he can have these types of weeks more often. Uh, I think he's managed to put up a lot of good weeks in the last in the last year. Um, just the last few months weren't weren't very good, but uh, he's been working extremely hard to get back to playing good tennis, and I think he's starting to show a little bit now. But he's still far away from from playing his best, I think. Um, and we just need to keep working and and keep doing the same thing that he's doing to try and keep getting better. Um, usually, when you don't have good results for a few months, uh, it takes you a while to get back to playing good tennis. And I'm happy that I'm seeing some some good signs this week, and, and especially his energy on the court. It's been very good this week uh, already from from the first match against Feli. So uh, we just need to keep building on it and, and keep doing the same thing that, that he's done this week. We last spoke in Monte Carlo. You were joking that you know we haven't spoken because you, you have, he hasn't been winning. That's not the reason. We always want to talk to you, Danny. Um, how much have you learnt about Grigor, though, in between Monte Carlo and, and here through the, the clay and also what was a very good grass court swing? Uh, learned a lot. Um, I think he started to put um, some some better wins uh, together during the grass court season. The beginning of the hardcore stretch now was not very good. Uh, I think uh, we we learned a lot from that, and we had a lot of a lot of truthful conversations about it. And and I think uh, you always learn from from these weeks. Uh, obviously, they can be quite painful uh, when you when you leave the, the tournament early, uh, especially with some matches that that you are hoping to win um, so so I think at the end of the day they are they are painful but but you can get a lot out of them and uh, hopefully hopefully it will start it will start showing soon I think like I said this week has been good um, he's been uh, competing the way I want him to compete and the way he wants to compete so I think we just need to try and build from it and, and keep moving moving forward the same way is this unquestionably now for you his best surface I think so. Yeah, I think uh, the medium pace to medium fast pace courts uh, in the summer uh, are are the best conditions for him. I think it helps his game. He can he can use uh, his speed. He can use his slice. He can he can use the the strength of his serve on his forehand, and he pays off. So I, I would say that between these type of conditions and the grass courts are are definitely his uh, his favorite surface to play on. Yeah. Great preparation, obviously, for, for the US Open. And beyond that, even, um, moving the right way for London as well. Yeah, uh, I think uh, in, in many different angles, it's been a positive week. Uh, it's a good stepping stone for the US Open and, uh, and for the race to London. I think uh, everyone's looking at that, not only him. Uh, it's 
pretty tight race at the moment. So um, I think uh, this will be a, a good build-up moving forward towards that. That's it for this week. In next week's programme, we'll bring you the story of the 2017 US Open. And we'll look back on the best from Asia and Paris as those final spots were clinched for London. I'm Seb Lozier. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. Remember, you can find all the recent editions on TuneIn and iTunes, including our wraps of both the Nito ATP finals and the Next Gen finals in Milan. You can also leave us a review. And if you like the podcast, you will almost certainly want to tune in to the ATP Tennis Radio channel available 24-7 365 days of the year and live every day at the Masters 1000 events. Listen through atpworldtour.com and via the TuneIn and Tennis TV apps as a free-to-listen option. We'll see you next week.